Welcome to the Winged Hazar Pubcast. From fantasy to sci-fi to history and horror, your hosts are about to take you on a journey through all things Winged Hazar Publishing. Sit back and relax as we talk about writing, gaming, as well as interview some of your favorite authors. Let's wing it. Hello and welcome back, everybody. I'm Brandon. I'm Mark. And today we're going to be talking about one of the most interesting things in a story, which is the dialogue, the way that characters talk to each other. Now, arguably, the narration is the most important thing because it tells you what's going on and sets the scene and tells you what the characters are doing. But I think dialogue is arguably more important. What do you think, Mark? Dialogue's definitely really important for a whole lot of reasons we're going to go into. I ah, Is it more important? I'm not sure. I think the jury's out on that. I think it's one of the most important aspects of it, but I think it accompanies it. It drives the narrative, but I wouldn't... For me, it's not more important. That's fair. I, I think it's most important in characterization. I feel like that if you don't have enough dialogue or if you don't expand your dialogue enough, your characters are going to seem flat two-dimensional and you're not really getting to get to know them the audience won't get to know them you might have a perfect idea in your head of how they act and talk but if you don't explain that in uh, dialogue i feel like your audience is going to be just thinking they're two-dimensional sticks having different dialogue with all between the different characters as well i think is really important it sounds really obvious but there's some examples in in really famous and successful settings where kind of all of the characters have got the same catchphrase and that sort of thing and and they all talk and act the same way and it's it's actually it's a really good opportunity to to make all the characters completely different which uh yeah uh is is really important to do yeah i agree completely so plot is the key thing in any novel you know the plot what's the plot of the novel how is the plot moving forward and i think dialogue is a really great way that help advance the plot it's kind of like a secret technique you can use to advance downtime or when people are traveling. You know, it, one of the issues that I have with my writing is all right, I want to get to point A to point B, but I don't just want to teleport. My characters need to travel from point A to point B, but I don't want to make it boring. So what I like to do is, you know, you can pass some time in narration and saying, hey, they were on the road for blah, blah, blah. But I think it's really fun to use it as a segue so you've now had them moving along and walking for a little while now they can start talking to each other you know and you can help pass the time on the road that way you can have the characters interact and it doesn't sometimes the dialogue doesn't have to be like centric to the plot you can just have them talking about you know a story i I remember my very first edits on rebirth of courage the editor i was using i had tried to explain the relationship between dark flare and attila which are my two the two Dark Flare is my main character. Attila is the first character you meet, and I had said, you know, they're childhood friends. They've known each other forever, and the editor said to me, "Well, give us some examples. Show us. You know, you can't just say they're friends. Like, explain some examples." And I had a flashback scene I put in to help show that, and I used dialogue to explain, you know, the relationship they had, how close they were, and you know, they talked about the memory. So that's a good way of how dialogue can help explain. Exp- uh, that's a good way to show how dialogue can help move the plot along and help car- further your characters is just even talking about a shared memory, just talking about a fact in the world that all the characters can relate to that they can talk about. Yeah, it, um, it ties in with the whole the dreaded info dump thing 
which which crops up in sci-fi and fantasy a lot because yep. it's it, it's an alien world it's an it's an unfamiliar world and i find this is a really tricky it's a fine line to to uh to tread between the two because on the one hand you've got let's i don't know take sci-fi uh, we, we always fall back to star wars don't we because everybody knows it try and explain a lightsaber to someone and you're doing it um writing it down you're doing it in a the new hope novel do you want to spend a page writing down you know kind of his his you know it has kyber crystals or whatever it's uh it's superheated plasma i don't know or, or, all this stuff or as you've got in the movie just here it is it's you know the elegant uh weapon of the jedi from a different era it's done in dialogue and it's done quickly it's done believably it's done naturally and organically in the movie the way it's written so, and it, and it's quick what you you don't want to have is um say okay i've avoided the classic trap of an info dump in the narrative by having really unnatural dialogue and having someone just explain a weapon for two pages cuz that doesn't really crop up a good example of that would be in Aliens, where Hicks is explaining to Ripley about the pulse rifle because she's specifically asked and needs to be taught. That's where you learn about it. And that, again, it's, it's convincing dialogue. It's good. Yeah, it's a really interesting thing that, you know, if when writers do, they can nail it really well. But then when they have a hard time using it, it's kind of, I've read some novels where the characters just go from place to place and they don't interact unless they absolutely have to. So a lot of the time, so like in a lot of stuff we do with the wargaming, I've read some of the books where the squad mates or the supporting characters will interact if they need direction. And it's just like, okay, well, but that's all we know of the character then because there's no dialogue outside. There's no point of view outside. So we don't know anything more about this character because you're refusing to do dialogue between the main character. And I think that kind of segues into our next point pretty well, is that dialogue, I think the key thing about dialogue is that it helps you see through the lens of a different character who's not your point of view character. And one of the things that I learned in my writing that you helped me with a lot, Mark, um, and just from doing edits and everything, is you want to make sure you have a strong, consistent point of view. First-time authors, and again, I can speak from experience because I fell in this boat, but first-time authors tend to have such an idea of where they want the story to go that they just want to tell it. And they want an omnipotent narrator to be able to tell that story. And you, you lose a lot by doing it that way. You take people out of the scene. If an omnipotent narrator explains to you what everybody in the group is doing, it's almost like you're watching a bird's eye view of it. And then you can see what everyone's doing, but you lose that sense of how it relates to your character. You're kind of just reading a play-by-play instead of getting the emotions, the feelings of an individual character. And that's where point of view is so pertinent and so important is that, because remember, you're in a character's point of view exactly as it is. You know, you want the readers to feel like they are reading and experiencing whatever you're writing about through that character's lens. That's what makes a good, strong character. And I feel like dialogue is a really good way to make sure that you are characterizing your supporting cast well while still helping to further your main character's point of, your point of view character's personalities. Because when, you can talk to, when he or she can talk to other people, you get to learn about how they feel about certain subjects. You get to learn more about your main character by the way they interact with others, and you get a sense of how other characters are based on how they react to that main point of view character. What do you think about that, Mark? Totally, totally agree with that. Um, 
for for people listening about what omnipotent narrative it, it is what it for anyone who doesn't know it is exactly what it sounds like so let's say you're writing a simple scene with four characters in um something i, I don't know agatha christie like where someone in this room is the killer that that, that kind of deal what you don't the omnipotent narrative would then immediately let right. you know who the killer is because they'll be there thinking, ha-ha, it's me. Uh, I hope I don't get found out. And on page three, you know who the killer is. So there is a time and place for an omnipotent narrative, but if you go and read through any novels, the vast majority of novels do not employ omnipotent narrative as a technique. It is deliberately avoided. It's like a bad thing because it gives the reader far too much. And you're not working for it yeah. at that subconscious level. To kind of, uh, there's no reward for working out what's going on in the other characters' heads. Dialogue is where that's your fix for it. So that's when um, we don't know what's going on in character B, C, and D's head, but we get to we get to find out about them. We judge them on their words and their actions. Essentially, yes. real life, really. So by what they say and how they say it, that's how you get to know the characters. It's also a really good tool. Scott Washburn in, in Broken Alliance, um, you know, there's, there's, there's the one point of view, which is brave, because if you don't gel with that character as a reader, that you, you've got an issue. Most people go for an ensemble cast. I do every single time, because I suppose I'm chickening out. Because by what they say and how they say it, you get to see what the, what the world's point of view is on the character who, who you're seeing it through their eyes. And I'll compound on that. It, you can. I think it's really cool when you have multiple point of views. I, I like multiple point of views because I think you do it really well in Downfall, where that shines the best. And you have one of the characters doesn't have a point of view section until a certain point. And the way everybody perceives that character is, wow, she's a terrible person. You know, she's got the stick on her shoulder and, you know, she's just chip on her shoulder she's not a nice person end of story but then and in the dialogue it's even conveyed like whoa don't want to mess with this person and i'm trying not to spoil as much as i can i know downfall's been out for a while but just in case anybody's interested but then you get to her point of view section which you've purposely made it so that way she doesn't have any point of view sections until a certain part and you start to learn that she talks like that for a reason. She has this front up for a reason. And I think that's where dialogue is so cool because you perceive her in a certain way as the characters do because you're looking through the eyes of a character. You're presented with the information that the character has. So the way she's talking to them is the way that they're perceiving her character. And you're, that's what you're influenced by is that dialogue and that point of view. But then you get to her point of view and you see her way, her reasoning and her own mind for that dialogue. And it's just a cool shift to be able to see how dialogue can influence a character's viewpoint of another character. Yeah, I mean, sticking with that example as well, whether... I've done it well or not, I don't know. That's that's down to readers to judge. But with that particular character, there's there's, there's four point of view characters in that story, and she deals with the other three, yep. and she is utterly, utterly horrible to two of them, and is very, very kind to one of them. And what drives that is the way that those those three characters treat her on meeting her. She's instantly judgmental. So two characters are unkind, uncivil, un, um, aren't, aren't nice to her. So she is absolutely horrifically aggressive and, and never forgives. 
whereas one is the perfect gentleman and is opens with kindness so she is a complete so the dialogue is completely different in the scenes between them that was at least what i was trying to as as, as i'll always say with all these things is <laughs> it's in the eye of the beholder isn't it whether it's successful or not i think you do a great job with that and you're not to make this a patting each other on the back session but i i have to say that you you always one of Mark's strengths, for those that haven't read his book, and for those who have, I think you can agree with me, is Mark's characterizations and his characters are always the strongest part of his novels. And I think if you want to see some really good dialogue, uh, two authors that I will highly recommend for really good dialogue is I highly recommend checking out any of Mark's books because the dialogue between the characters is fantastic. And as well as um, check out uh, John Libby's upcoming Earhart because he does some really good uh, dialogue between the characters and I, they, we're going to revisit john a little later in this episode because there's some things i want to bring up about his dialogue but and it also comes down to you know that whole aspect of you want to make sure you're reading different authors and different genres and different point of views to be able to grab what works and what doesn't work um you know as the editor i'm able to see different authors and their different styles and i i've kind of leaned on Mark's examples when I'm giving authors feedback sometimes. I'll say, you know, this is cool, but I think if you did this in dialogue, it would be better. And I mean, even to an extent, I, I give that feedback for a lot of things generally. Like an author will sometimes say like, oh, they did this, like random thing. They, they went over there and set it up or they asked this question. And I'm like, okay, but you're telling the audience what they're doing. I think it would be better in dialogue because you get a little bit more characterization. There, sometimes I think authors will lean on the fact of, I want to get this little bit done quickly, so I'm going to put it in narration. And sometimes it works, but sometimes I feel like it's just it would be better in dialogue. It would be better if you, you told us, you showed us what was going on instead of telling us. That's one thing to say, like, oh, he asked them a question. All right, fine, whatever. But it's another thing to say, you know, he asked them which way to go, and he told them to go that way. Well, you know, for example, if you want to add a little humor, that's where... In a throwaway character like that, like a guard or a grunt or something, you can add in a little bit of humor if that's what you're going for. I'll give a personal example. In Rebirth of Courage, I have, so the first part of the novel, our main character enters a tournament. And he's been to this town numerous times over the years. It's like a second home, and he knows the tournament, the tournament uh, guard well. And I kind of took that opportunity, you know, even in the minor characters, it's a chance to flesh out a world. And in a world that's my own, I wanted to flesh out uh, some of the more humorous aspects. So I made the guy, like, a little bit more rotund and sweating and glasses, and he didn't recognize him at first, and then he's just like, come on, I'm the only person that comes here with a uh, wyvern on my shoulder. He's like, oh, yeah, it's you, I know you. So it's that chance of dialogue that is then allows you to set the tone to be a little more humorous and allows you to throw in a little detail of, look, this character has a, a wyvern as a pet, and it's a rarity because not a lot of people come through with one. So it, dialogue can even be used in the most minor moments with the most minor characters to help flesh out your whole entire world. I'm, I'm just blown away because I think that this, this is a real watershed moment for me. That's how wyvern's pronounced in America. <laughs> wyvern, wyvern. I didn't know it, that. It's tomato, tomato. No, uh, yeah, but, but uh, which which again is dialogue? That's that's amazing. Yes. Um, it's it, it's a shame. It, it's a shame. I, I I find that it's it's hard to put stuff across phonetically sometimes when when you write in dialogue and, and the narrative for that matter. But um, 
silly the characterization that you mentioned and i don't know if this is going a rung too deep but having that characterization through the dialogue through the way that people talk i think is really important now um have you heard of the myers-briggs type indicator or am i going too too deep into something uh off off script here? Uh, i have but it's been a long time since i've refreshed myself so why don't you refresh oh, okay. me and the audience with that? so yeah so, so um uh carl jung was a an eminent psychologist at the turn of the 20th century and he, he did groundbreaking work into personal rather than group psychology um and myers-briggs which was a, a mother-daughter management team i suppose for want of a better a better uh term took his work and expanded on it to come out with a Myers-Briggs type indicator, which says that every human being ultimately falls into one of 16 character types, uh, which is a four by four grid. That's why it's 16. Now, uh, detractors of it, people who don't like it say, well, it's just like horoscopes, um, in that you can twist any of those to, to fit any person at any time. All of that's fine, but a lot of people like horoscopes. So I guess we could use either of those. If you're writing a whole load of characters and you're struggling to make them different, uh, one thing that you could do is if you like horoscopes, assign each of them a star sign. If you think the Myers-Briggs type indicator has got something to it, assign each of them a type indicator. And then when you come to writing them, you've then got a way to, to, to move forward. And one of the things with Myers-Briggs that one of the simplest starts to it is is a person an introvert or an extrovert? Now, that's the psychological definition, not the layman's definition, so it's, it's subtly different, but it, it doesn't matter. In terms of the dialogue, if you assign introvert or extrovert to each of your characters straight away, you'll bring them to life in the scenes through the dialogue because the extroverts will naturally talk more than the introverts, and then you've got a bit of that consistency, just a simple way to do it. Yeah, I, I think that's really interesting, and I, I think that individual... You hit on this a little bit with this, and you hit a little bit earlier, but I think creating dialogue for each individual character is very important in characterizing them. I think something as simple that I've picked up on is contractions. Whether your character uses contractions or not, that you have to kind of, when you're writing good characters, you want to make sure you're vocalizing it in your head. So if you have a character that talks a certain way, you want to be able to hear that every single time. One of the things I like to do, actually, is when I'm writing, when I'm making characters for the first time, I like to envision how they look and how they sound. So I will, um, a lot of times I go on uh, Hero Forge and I create a miniature of them. And also I kind of just look at actors and I think, who would be a good actor to play this person? And I kind of have that in my head. Or if it's animated, I think, well, how would they look animated? And the next thing I do is, what kind of, what voice actor do I think would best portray them what actor would best vocalize them or what do i think their voice sounds then from there every time that they're talking or i'm writing dialogue i hear it in my head so certain characters i know don't use contractions so when i'm going through and rereading what i've written i have to make sure i'm not using contractions because that's the way they talk and i think that helps really add strength to their character who they are Certain characters will only use certain words. Certain characters will not use certain words. I think that that also ties back into if they're an introvert or extrovert, like you're saying, you know, how how does their personality affect their dialogue? That's a big thing. And I think that some new writers especially, I think that they look at dialogue and they say, they, they look at it as a means to an end. They're telling a story. 
and yeah, the characters have to interact, but they don't really put too much thought behind it. But I think what separates a good writer from an average writer is the thought that goes into writing the dialogue. This is another extension of your story. And if you're looking at the characters as saying, it, it, I'll take this as another standpoint. As an editor, if I'm looking at, let's say, Downfall, if I'm looking at Downfall, I can read Kyle Hawkins in, his, in the voice I've created in my head, and it's consistent through the dialogue. I can read Jim Cochran, and I can hear his voice consistent in the dialogue. I can listen to Lisette Beckman and hear her voice consistent in the dialogue. And as an editor, if there's ever a point where I'm just like, that doesn't sound right, I, you, I think you've seen it in, in practice, Mark. I've actually said, like, I don't necessarily think this is in dialogue. I don't think this is in uh, character for them to say. I feel like they would use this instead. I feel like this is too refined. I would go with this instead. Or this is too colloquial or casual. I would go with this instead. I think that's a big part of you want to make sure your dialogue is consistent as long as well as your characters are. That's one of the key things with, with having the editor come back and have a look through stuff. And I know I'm, I'm doing a little bit more editing these days rather than the writing, which is a completely different skill sets, completely new to me. And it's, it's interesting. It's a challenge, to, uh, isn't it? To have someone be able to analyze that. Oh, hugely. Uh, it's, oh, the, we can do that. I'll have a chat about that on another session, I think. <laughs> but in terms of when I look back and look at the novels that you've edited for me, that, that is one of the things which crops up, and that is really important. And um, it is funny, without going into the negatives, I always do this dive into the negatives, how you, that you do get some authors who will come back and go, no, I, I, I disagree with every single point you've made, and uh, which is frustrating when you try to do the editing. It's like, okay, well, uh, you, you, you do you, I guess. Uh, but um, but that, that was certainly one of the things which was most useful to me in the novels I've come uh, done is when you've come back and said there is inconsistency in the dialogue. Um, the contractions is an interesting one as well. It's when I was first starting writing in the in the fantasy genre, it was like a really easy cheat mode, which didn't work well for well. Elves elves talk good, don't they? So let's let's make elves never use contractions. They're really simple, and uh, and give other fantasy races uh, strong regional accents. And and there's a lot of cliches like that, which I'm I'm not recommending or advocating at all. That's an episode I want to talk about soon. Is is uh, regional regional dialects? That's a, that was our other pitch for today that I brought up. But anyway, go on. It's it's the importance of of in the editing process of having the the extra set of eyes look through all of your stuff. And it, the thing is, though, that's that's not just specific to uh, to dialogue. I don't think dialogue is is a minefield because as soon as you start writing about different characters, that they should be talking differently. They should have different experiences and uh, different upbringings, different levels of education, common sense, whatever it is. So they should all speak differently. And it's uh, But you're one author. So when you're writing it, there will naturally be a part of you coming through all of those characters. So that's why it's, it's really important to have the editor pick it up and just go, this character, you're, you know, you're 150 pages in right. and they've stopped talking like themselves. They've started talking like you. And, you know, just to kind of tie back into things, because what we're doing on this show is, you know, we're not, we're not just talking about Winged Husser, but we're also trying to give tips to new authors or authors, people just interested in writing. I, I think some of the key takeaways you can take from what we've been talking about so far is you want to make sure you're 
when you're crafting dialogue, you want to try to make it as important as your character in far as far as like what makes them unique and different and what things they do and don't do. And I think it's just important to keep dialogue in mind when you're creating your characters. If there's one thing to take away from what we've said so far, it's just keep dialogue in mind and try to keep make sure that your characters are unique in that aspect as well. Yeah, in terms of tips for new writers, which I always feel a little bit on shaky foundations giving, but um, one from one from another company, which I read, which I think is really good, and you've already said it anyway, but just to sort of almost formalise it, and one from me. Oh, this is going back a couple of decades, but Black Library, when they were first starting up and they were still kind of open to unsolicited manuscripts from new authors, they had something on their webpage to say, here's some, some basics which you have to follow if you want us to consider you. And one of them was about dialogue, um, which, which was a simple rule which said, write dialogue, don't describe it. And the, the example they gave was a, a Thunderhawk gunship taking a load of troops into, into a fight, and they have like a bad example than a good example. And the bad example was the pilot of the gunship told the troops in the back they were approaching the drop zone. Whereas the good example is put it in dialogue to say, uh, say specifically what the pilot is saying, the stress in their voice, the reaction from the guys in the back. Um, and that's the key difference is... If you can write the actual dialogue, there's very, very, very few occasions where it's going to work better to say someone talked about this without actually saying what it was. Well, that was that was Black Library's uh, one, and I think it's I think it's fantastic. It sounds so obvious when you say it out loud, but I I hadn't been doing it till I read that, and I, I think it's really good. Uh, the second one, something from me, and again, this is just my slant on it. It's not a rule or anything. Is when you write long segments of dialogue read it out loud and see how natural it sounds because it's really easy to write something which seems really good on paper and then you can read it out and just think people don't talk like that that sounds really weird it sounds really clunky it's not naturally flowing and particularly uh, for sci-fi and fantasy in combat scenes now if you've never done martial arts fencing whatever it is um even if you just watch fight scenes in movies which are well-crafted, uh, you, if you have two paragraphs of dialogue during a sword fight, it just doesn't work. People are concentrating on, on, on not being killed by their adversary. You might have time to shout out the odd word, the odd curse, whatever it might be, but to explain entire things and to then, then call them a vile cur and all this stuff, it, it, for me, it doesn't sit well. Um, whereas it, it can be done for comedic effect. Princess Bride, the sword fights in that are absolutely fantastic. And there's quite a lot of dialogue in it because it, it just it works so well. But it's funny. That's the point. It's not supposed to be believable. It's supposed to make you laugh. Whereas if you look at, again, I love Star Wars, but the, the lightsaber fight at the end of episode three, I, I don't think it was George Lucas's best dialogue writing was that, well, from my point of view, the Jedi, but it, 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 that's not the sort of thing you'd, you'd say if you're fighting for your life, I don't think. But that's <laughs> well, you me. helped me a lot with that because, um, you know, in, in my first, in Rebirth of Courage, I have six characters as part of the main cast. And so one of the issues that I had was making sure that the reader knew who was talking to who. So I would use first names a lot. So, like, whoever was who they were addressing. So if Darkler were talking to Attila, he'd be like, blah, 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 Attila. And you said, that's not really how real people talk. And in my head, I was like, it makes sense. But then when you said it, I'm just like, but 
from a reading standpoint, I can get rid of it and I can rework the narrative slightly to show the cues of who he's talking to instead of doing that. And, you know, you, you were right. It was a big help. And that's another point of the editor even needs an editor, as I've talked about before. But that was a big help to me is to even just rework slight bits of that. So that way the name was taken out of the dialogue and reworked into stage cue, more or less. And then you have a stronger dialogue and you know who's talking to who without having to say the person's name 7,000 times. So that's definitely something to keep in mind as well. When, when people are talking to people as a general rule of thumb, it's uh, more common than not to maintain eye contact. So you look at the person you're addressing. So for me, if there's a lot of people in a group conversation, I would write in the narrative to say that the the any the harder part is to try and get the uh, to get differences instead of just saying person A turned to person B and just using that phrase all the time, but have them look at the person they're addressing and then deliver the line. So if we were face-to-face rather than over the internet now, I would turn to Brandon to look uh, at you and and say, I wouldn't just keep saying, Brandon, then tell you something. It's p- People don't use names in face-to-face conversation that much. So yeah, yeah, it's, it's again, reading it out loud and saying, is this really how people how people talk? So today's episode is sponsored by On Military Matters, your source for new, used, and out-of-print books on military history, wargaming, and modeling. Check them out at onmilitarymatters.com, and make sure to sign up for the weekly e-flyer. So narration in dialogue, interwoven, I think you kind of were, that's kind of the point where you were getting at that I think is a really important thing too, is if you... You know, stage cue, kind of like I said. You know, you don't want to, you don't want to have everybody go. He said, she said, but you can then work. Like when I work with a group of characters, one of the things I like to do is like if I'm having somebody talk and then somebody different answer or third person answer. What I like to do is have that person say something slight, so that way that they're beginning dialogue, and then I do something like uh, this character put his hands on his hips or something like that. I think if you have if you have dialogue mixed with body language, that's a really strong way to convey the characters as well. Body language works really well in dialogue and I think that's another thing that people feel like they need to attach a said with every time. And that's one of the things I struggle with some authors is the repetition of he said, she said, they said and did this. It's like sometimes you can just have the dialogue, have an action, and then continue the dialogue. You, you, that slight little input of narration in there, I think, helps to keep it so that way you know who you're talking to, and then you're not have to repeating a name, but you're still giving characterization and personality cues. Yeah, I think looking at the edits I've had from you, it's it's a, it's a slightly different error I keep um, I keep committing, which is instead of saying he said, she said, I'll try and come up with a uh, a more impressive, ostentatious word. So it'll be, you know, he retorted or, or something like that. It, it still ends up being exactly the same problem, really, in that you don't it, – it can slow dialogue down. 
particularly if you want quick-fire dialogue, if you're having an argument, a heated argument between two characters, you can just put um, just start the flow. Just have what the first character says, then put the dialogue of the second, then the first, yep. then the second, then the first, and it keeps things moving really fast. Um, you want to break it up occasionally so you can remind the reader who it is who's saying which alternate line of dialogue. But um, yeah, you certainly don't need to put he and she right. said after after everything. It can it can really clog things up. That's another really good point. Is when you when you have two characters and you're writing good dialogue, and it, it's of course every all of this good that I keep saying it's subjective. But when you're, I think the best dialogue when somebody has written really really good dialogue, it can stand on its own without needing narration constantly. Like you said, it's very helpful to remind the readers who's speaking. I, sometimes when I'm doing edits, I have to actually go back up and count the lines. If it's too spaced out or the characters are too similar in talking, I'll be like, wait, hold on. Which one? Who, this doesn't make sense. Who said this? Is are they sure it's not this person who said this? So sometimes I'll add in notes for the author saying, you know, a, a cue would be good here about who's talking because I've lost track and or I don't understand. This doesn't seem like what they would be saying. So just you cue in who this actually is. But good writing of dialogue can stand on its own a few lines at least and just that natural flow like you were saying and it's done well i think i think this all comes down to like experimentation you know i think that if you're an aspiring writer you should try a couple different ways a couple different styles to see what works best for you and sometimes take a chance you know if you if you're listening to this and you go oh i I put narration after every single quote Take a chance. Try not on some of them if it's between two characters and just see if that works for your style of writing. Conversely, I think as well, another, another problem which can crop up is what if you have, uh, let's say, a, a character is telling a story to a whole load of other people. So if they're left alone, that character is going to have three pages of dialogue. And how do you break that up? Um, and it doesn't even need to be that long. You could end up with, say, two to three paragraphs with half a page. You still want to break it up a little bit. So it's about t- taking a pause. Yeah. And you mentioned body language before, so nonverbal communication. So you can just stop, put something, I don't know, if it's, you know, if it's a campfire story scene, something like that, just a noise in the environment which, which distracts people's attention for a second. Um, it can add a bit of atmosphere doing it that way and then back into the same character doing the dialogue again. Yeah, I think that's become one of my new personal pet peeves. Um, and it's basically because of I did that in the beginning. When I was writing Rebirth of Courage, there was a scene where, you, I think you know this, there's one a character. I, there was a lot of info dump I wanted to do, but I didn't want to do it in narration. So I did it in dialogue. But in the end, it was still a giant info dump. So I had to rework that whole part to have more interspersed narration and more interaction between two of the characters instead of just one character. But my, I did long sections of just dialogue without any interruption, and it's now become my personal pet peeve, I think, when I see a character talking, and then the paragraph ends, and I don't see the end quote, and they go on to another dialogue. A lot of times, it's fine. But in my head, I just get really annoyed. I'm like, we could do this better. We could do it stronger. We don't have to have two paragraphs of dialogue. And some authors will do it really, will do interesting where they will finish the paragraph and then they'll start a new paragraph with the same dialogue, but they'll only make it a single line. And that single line is the emphasis. And that's why they made it in paragraph. So it's interesting little techniques you can do. Um, But yeah, 
when you do too much dialogue, then it becomes an info dump, just as the same as it would be in narration. So you have to have an even mix. Yeah, it's um, it, that too much dialogue can be done deliberately. You can be trying to show, for example, again, show, don't tell. Show that someone is really, really nervous in a situation, so they talk and talk and talk and talk and talk. And if you craft that well, you'd, it's a far more effective way. Instead of saying, oh, character B was clearly nervous, well, don't don't say it, show it. And and one of the things that a lot of people do when they are nervous is talk way more than they normally would. So uh, it, it can be done for that. But if, if that's not what you're trying to do, then it's certainly worth breaking it up. Yeah, I think that's a fun little exercise we can we can do to help kind of show people is uh, the things, techniques we use to show things. So like um, dashes and ellipses, you know, uh, stuttering. You got to think about when people stutter, you know, one of the techniques, I like to emphasize this with writers, and not a lot of them take advantage of it. When you have a character who's nervous, they're going to stutter. So if they're saying, like, what's the problem, you could do, what's the problem, like, with W hyphen W to show them stuttering. You don't, have to, you don't want to do it to comedic effect if the tone is serious, but you can do that to show there's hesitation. Um, ellipses, you know, if somebody, you know, if they're thinking... Kind of like I'm doing, where they're thinking about what they're trying to say, you can use ellipses to be like, what is dot, dot, dot going on in there? You know, those are techniques you can use in dialogue to show emotion and emphasis. To, I think to, to get the best effect out of it, if you were going to have someone stutter or stammer to show that they're nervous, then just do that and leave it. Just That's how you've made your point subtly. Don't, uh, don't have the dialogue yeah. and then say, whoever stammered. Well, we know who stammered. You've just written it. And certainly don't put whoever stammered nervously. It's like, well, you're trying to convey the nervous subtly, so don't, yes. say, don't, don't hit the reader over the head and say, yeah, 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 they're nervous just in case you didn't get it. Because, again, it's all, it's all about that, um, that subconscious the reader feeling that they are working it out for themselves rather than being spoon-fed is, make, makes it a more enjoyable story. You know, I read Stephen King's On Writing, and I didn't agree with a lot of it. I think as I get older, I might agree with some more of it, but I read it in high school, and I was just like, I don't agree with a lot of this. I, I, I understand. I, I'm just not a huge fa- Stephen King fan. I haven't really read much of his work, but I'm not a huge fan of his. But everybody was like, if you're going to be a writer, read On Writing. And I think I got, like, three copies of On Writing over the years. And I'm like, okay, I get it. Yeah, read On Writing. And I read it, and I didn't read it to completion. But there was one piece he said that always resonates with me. If I took anything away from that book, it's don't ever use adverbs. If you are using a word that ends in L-Y, find a way to describe it instead. Don't ever use an adverb in writing because you are an adverb is immediately going to be telling instead of showing. If you are going to try to convey something like nervously, then use the dialogue to convey that nervousness. Don't say he did it nervously like you were saying. Use context to show the audience that. I think that's one of the biggest things that I've been very, very strict with my editing is if I see an adverb, I try to get rid of it. Oh gosh, I'm just thinking now of all the stuff I've written. I I think I'm a serial offender of that. <laughs> well, it's the type of thing where if you don't know, like you're just gonna write it because a yeah. word is a word, and there's no, there's never been a code of ethics in the the writing word to say you cannot use these words or you should not do this. 
it's just something you pick up over the years. That's just one of the things I've added to my editing style over the years is that's just something I look for. And maybe you and I have done it. I've written it out to you subconsciously without really telling you why I was doing it that way. But that's just a thing to keep in mind is, you know, moving forward, Mark, keep this in mind. All you listening, keep this in mind. If you're using an adverb, think twice. Yeah, about that's a good shout. I mean, I'm, I'm going off, uh, off piste a little bit here. But um, when I was doing creative writing in the early days and having lessons on it, uh, one thing the teacher said about, oh, you, you know, rules, certain words you can't use, said unless it's in dialogue, because people do use this word, if you're writing in the narrative, never, ever use the word got, because there is always a better way to describe something. You wouldn't say, uh, he went and got in the car. You would say, he went and lowered himself into the car or something to, to uh, you know, lower himself slowly to, to in- insinuate that it's difficult for that character to get into that seating position, whatever it might be. But uh, people use got in dialogue all the time. That's absolutely fine. But in the narrative... It's a word I, uh, it, it, ever since this was pointed out to me, it leaps out to me now. But, you know, it's, it's not a rule. It's just, uh, I, I think it works there. You know, you bring an interesting point up is one of the issues that I have with authors that I get the most pushback on is certain authors, I, I try to adhere to quote unquote perfect English. So words that are not used, kind of like God, that's the best example. You, you kind of hit it in the head. If somebody does that in dialogue, but like, let's say, so have and has, so like plural and singular, I'm, I'm very anal about making sure that everything lines up properly. But I have some, but dialogue is always where I find it hard because I got a lot of pushback in the early days of people saying, well, that might be the correct way to use that uh, pluralization or stylization, but I want him to speak like this. And it's like, okay. Fine, that's author choice, that's dialogue. I can chalk it up to that. But then I've had people, I've had readers come to me and say, oh, this wasn't edited because, you know, this isn't correct. And I've had to say, well, I know it's dialogue. You know, like, it's a fine line between what is right and what is author interpretation because technically they're right, it's not correct. And it, it bothers me a little bit because I want it to be correct because that's part of my job because I know somebody is going to do exactly that and say this isn't correctly written. But at the same point, I do have to relent to the author and say, you know, if this is how you want them to speak, then that's for the audience to take away of maybe this person isn't the most intellectual character because he's speaking like this. Or maybe the character just doesn't know any better. You know, I think that's an interesting line to try to draw in dialogue. If what is okay to mispronounce or misword, and what's, what does the editor have to then keep an eye out for that has to be changed? It, it's a really good tool to show someone's background, someone's... Uh, so someone's education. I, I grew up in the north of England, and double negatives were were really common in, in certain areas. So instead of saying, for example, "No, I didn't," uh, someone might say, "No, I never," which grammatically do- doesn't make any sense, but it's really common in the area I grew up in. And but yeah, if, if you put that in dialogue, then you'll have some people. Yeah, people will put in the in the in the dreaded comment section. Uh, we'll put, uh, oh yeah, that, that's that's wrong. It's like no, it is wrong, but it's deliberately wrong because it's in dialogue and it's it's a tool that you can use to to show more about the character and their background. But in speaking of characterization and dialogue and dialect, I I think one of the issues, one of the points that you and I have discrepancy with is cursing, and I have two point of views with it. I have a personal point of view and I have a business point of view. 
And the personal point of view is I curse like a sailor. I, I can curtail how much I curse on a platform like this or when I'm at work or when, or when I'm around my kids. Honestly, when I had kids, my biggest concern was going to be, how am I going to stop cursing? I, I curse so much. I'm never going to be able to stop cursing. And my wife was really harping on me. Don't curse. Lo and behold, she's the one that curses all, uh, not all the time. She's the one that lets one slip around the kids. And I'm the one that just like, you said a bad word. But in private company or, you know, on a headset playing a game, I curse like a sailor because it's just part of my language. But on a professional standpoint, when I'm editing these novels, we've kind of taken up the viewpoint of we don't want cursing to be prevalent throughout our novel. And it's for a couple of reasons. And, you know, this is something that, you know, you and I have talked about, Mark, and we can have a whole, whole episode on, but I think it's good to bring it up here about in a wargaming novel, you can have blood and guts and murder, but you can't have naughty words. And I think as I as I've interpreted it to you before is I think that a young impressionable mind if you don't spell out he pulled out his entrails and strangled him with it and you know gouged out his eyes repeatedly if you're not going into that much detail but you said he shot him down with an arrow or he sliced him down in half a young impressionable mind can kind of interpret that to be however they want it to be you know they they might see <laughs> This is going to sound silly, but they might see Orion slash down an infernal, an abyssal, and confetti pops out of them. You know, they might not know that, oh, there goes all the blood and guts spilling out. But if you say FSDC, etc., they're going to go, what does that word mean? And then they can start repeating that word. And that's how we've always looked at it, and that's, that's what Vince kind of took away from Black Library is, you know, you want to make sure you're not going to say words that young mo- You want anybody to read a book. I mean, that's, it's, that's the industry we're in. We want everybody to pick up a book and read. My kids, I, try, I push three books on my kids a night. Not push, but I encourage my son to read three books a night. And he willingly sits down. That's part of his night routine. And he picks out three books and we read a night. I want to foster that as he grows older. And I, want, I think as we develop more towards a screen generation, we lose that. And I'm just as culpable but you want to try to foster more people to read and if vince's mindset has always been if you set the language to be a certain level you are then cutting out a certain audience and while they're like again the other stuff they can interpret how they want but the curse words are called curse words for a reason because you know repeated you you don't want certain age range to repeat that so i i always like using made up words or sometimes like a lot of times you don't even have to curse and it can sound just as well and some the the argument about that is well it doesn't sound realistic and i get that i really do but in a fantasy setting you don't necessarily need it to sound realistic in science fiction yes i understand that it's based in reality you know most times and you want to have cursing because it, it feels more realistic but when you're talking about a fantasy work you don't necessarily need them to be saying dsfc all the curses because they don't necessarily who's to say those words actually exist there you know and then you can get into the whole background about damnation and you know tying damnation to faith and you know if there's no christian faith in the world you're working is damnation still exist and then you can get into a whole theological and 
debate on that and whether that word actually exists. So it's interesting. You can kind of just take a stance, I think, of saying these words just don't exist. And you can still tell the sentence you want to tell and the narration you want to tell and the dialogue you want to tell without using them. It can still come across strong. Flip side of things with science fiction, I, I read Gaunt's Ghosts when I was young. And as somebody who read it when I was young, I wasn't phased by the blood and guts and gore. Uh, again, I, my mind at a young age didn't necessarily interpret all that. But when he said the word feth to be kind of like an iteration combination of S and S, and it has no actual connotation in the real world. As a kid, I just said feth to everything, and my parents didn't get upset because it wasn't a real word. It was just me saying nonsense. And it, to me, it was nonsense, but it was a quote-unquote curse word I could say without getting in trouble because it had no connotation to anything else. So that's why I like when you make up your own curses. It, 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 it's, it's, ho- it's hokey, and I know you've got some stuff to say about that, Mark, but I feel like you've got to draw a line somewhere, and that's where I draw the line professionally. Again, personally, I don't care. I could give two S's. I think we're trying to go for a family vibe on this podcast, so that's why I'm trying not to swear. But I, I, I personally don't care about swearing on a personal level. Yeah, I, interesting. I hadn't really stopped to think about the difference between how you look at sci-fi and fantasy. And yeah, yeah, that is an interesting way of looking at it. I'd agree with that. Um, for me, right, would these words exist? Well, um, if you say looking at a fantasy setting, we, we do stuff for Kings of War for Mantic, and I know Mantic stances, that they're not too keen on too much swearing because they want to open the marketability of a novel to a younger audience, and that makes 100, 100% sense. I'm totally right. on board with that. So the way I would write dialogue in a Kings of War story is completely different to how I would do dialogue in an Infinity story. But I, I still think those words would exist because to say, okay, these words don't exist, well, the entire English language we're writing in doesn't exist because because it never in, in the world of Panathor where we're writing there is no England oh what a terrible thought but there's um there's 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 no English language therefore none of these words exist but would the equivalent what we're writing when we write the narrative when we write the dialogue is the equivalent in that language and if we look across all of the cultures in the real world swearing in all of the cultures. Uh, it follows certain trends. Uh, sexual swear words are, are very prevalent, and, and again, because of what they are referencing, that's why it's unsuitable for for younger people. But uh, I think those words would would exist. Now, does that mean they have to be in a fantasy setting? No, not at all. Um, I, I don't think it's true that. Well, a lot of fantasy settings are based uh, traditionally. It's, it's changing a lot now that the it's, the genre is opening up. But traditionally, a lot of them were based on medieval Western and Central Europe. Uh, and say, so, well, does that mean in 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 those days, in the medieval days, people didn't swear as much? Probably, uh, I doubt that. I think they probably did swear just as much. I don't know. So, 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 so for me, well, we get the the made up swear words now. For for, for anyone of, of of my age who's um, on on this side of the 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 pond, they'll know about a TV series called Red Dwarf. Which which had a uh, its famous made up swear word, which for comedic effect worked really well, and it wasn't very offensive, and that's great. But for me, and, and not having a go at anyone who does try that, it you lose the immersion because it it feels a bit trite t- to me. Any I, from 
uh, you know, I'm, I'm not a professional author. It's something I do uh, on the side. It's a it's a creative outlet. But in my day job, I have been involved in high pressure situations, not office work, as in uh, I have a job which has life or death situations where I've been uh, dealt with dead bodies, where I've de- had to make decisions which will make a an impact to life and death there and then. And you do swear. It is natural. So in these things, when you're writing about war gaming and you're writing about conflict and you're writing about high-pressure situations, uh, rather than having uh, facing off against uh, an adversary and saying, I will now strike you down like you deserved, you vile cur, for doing it, that's not how people talk. People will just let out a swear word. That's more natural dialogue to me. So having that is it's grounded in reality. It's people. It's how people talk. So if the IP, if the franchise allows it and is marketed at an adult audience, as as Corvus Belli do, that's that's what I'll go for. That doesn't mean it's right. It's, it's just that's what I'll go for. Because uh, for me, it's more grounded in reality. But if you want something like what Mantic are going for, whereas we want a younger audience, then yeah, shy away from it. That's fine. I'm I'm absolutely cool with that. But I still have a smattering of swearing. But for me, well, where do you cut off? What what is an acceptable swear word for a younger audience? And and you only need to look at the single greatest movie in the history of entertainment, Back to the Future, and look at what swearing was acceptable in Back to the Future. And that's uh, there's a few swear words, there's a smattering of them in that movie, which is uh, PG under UK classification, parental guidance. You can take a three year old to watch it. So um, if the parent deems it's you know it's okay, and there's some pretty dark stuff in that movie when you when you watch it with adult eyes, jeez. That that's my benchmark for Kings of War. Back to the Future levels of swearing, which uh, which there's a smattering of in the in the Kings of War ones I've done. It's definitely an interesting topic, and I I have this conversation with nearly every author, and most people are you know they're like fine whatever okay it is what it is, but we I mean, and it's hard to judge. It really is. I mean, with Downfall, we cut out a significant amount of curses. But we still got some feedback that said, oh, the swearing was too excessive and too distracting. It's like, okay, have you read the Infinity Source material? There's a there's a significant amount more cursing and swearing than our books. And even at that, it's like you almost want to give them the first draft and be like, here, you read this and you tell me which yeah. one you prefer. <laughs> like how much we're, again, it's the question of where do you draw the line with people? Some people will say, I want none. And that's why we take that professional standpoint. Other people say, I need more swearing. I don't understand the need. I understand I'm fine with it, but I don't need to be swearing. I read, I've done some freelance work um, about, you know, military novels and just some of the graphic swearing and some of those, I, I don't mind it, but it's just, it's, it's weird. I, I have a hard, it's not that I'm, I'm disgusted by it, but I'm just like, okay, what's the point of it? I feel like with anything, there should be a point to it. With any, t- and we talked about this with character. I think we talked about this with character deaths, character deaths. That there needs to be a point to it. And I think swearing should be the same thing. I think if you're going to swear, there should be a point to it. I think you should swear to show uh, emphasis or to show frustration. But I-, I think it's silly to swear for the sake of swearing or that you want to seem cool. Just like any, you're choosing a word for a reason. You're choosing running instead of walking you're choosing 
treading carefully instead of meandering. You know, there's a reason why you're choosing words. So I think that there needs to be a conscious choice between behind choosing a swear word. And a lot of the authors, you know, depending on the material, uh, if they feel strongly about it, like they need to have it because it's, you know, for whatever reason, if they need it because they need it, it's the only word that will show the emphasis that they need, I usually would say fine because, again, personally, I don't care. But it's just it's a tough it's a tough water to tread, and I think it's something that people take for granted in dialogue because you're either on one side usually you're either of the kind of like me where you don't care and it's whatever it's words it doesn't bother you or you're on the side that's so offended that you can't even breathe or think because somebody said a not nice word. It's tough, you know. We try to make it a standpoint of these are how our books are going to be. You know, we want to set a standard for anybody can pick up a book, but with certain settings, it just you. It just is provoking for it. So it's something for authors to keep in mind is the setting and how your dialogue is going to affect the setting. Yeah, you're right. I, I think it doesn't need too much. I was laughing when he said about the first draft of Downfall for... <laughs> yeah, sorry about that. Um, I think we cut out 75% of the swearing uh, for, for, for the one which went to print, which shows how bad the first one was. Uh, which, which, but I, I, I had a laugh writing it, so it's, and it is all about me, so that's good. Um, but... Um, a, uh, a genre where it stands out, one which leaps to mind of like, where, when can it be really effective? When can it really work? Um, so Second World War aviation stuff. There's a famous movie from the 1960s called Battle of Britain, which pretty much defines how the UK thinks military pilots talk, which is just sort of sauntering around and calling everyone old chap and always being uh, very, very prim, proper and British. There was a a much lower budget movie uh, called First Light, was it? Um, anyhow, uh, it's about the youngest Spitfire pilot at the start of the war, and it's it's based on his autobiography. So, so none of it's fiction. It's, it's all as it was. And I believe because he uh, the uh, the gent in question he he lived to a to a ripe old age. I think he was a technical advisor on the movie. And there's a bit where you've got this 19 year old in a Spitfire over the English Channel who's got separated and he's lost, and he's just sat there looking at his map and looking at the sea and seeing no uh, landmarks, just saying the f word again and again and again and that's oh, but, but, that, but that was 1940 no one swore back then they did i'm sure they did and uh you know the, the very man was there to be a technical advisor on this movie and that for me was a really simple but effective way of showing the despair and the stress and the anguish and the panic in just a single word because that is how people act that is how they talk it's definitely different we've covered a long a lot of different topics on dialogue. I'm trying to go over what other things I want to talk about, but um, can can you have a novel without dialogue? Can you have a novel where you just have narration from a single character who's like almost like how do you write a character who's the last standing person? I think I think it's even a short story. I don't think it. I don't think it's a good written technique i think you should even try to find ways to have dialogue even if you're having the main character talk to himself him or herself or talk to ghosts i think you need dialogue i don't think it's a i don't think it's i don't think you can have a really good story without it having a a really good story with what just one character oh gosh um non-leap to mind i it, it sounds quite pretentious and art house something to try uh I, I can't think of anything which is just about well 
Actually, what's that Tom Hanks movie where he's, uh, is it Castaway? I still haven't seen it, but I, I, I've heard it's yeah. absolutely amazing. I've heard it's really good. Um, so, yeah, I guess in that context, it, I, I'm sure at the start, well, at the start and the end, before he gets cast away and when he gets found again, there's lots of dialogue. But for the majority of it, there's, it's going to be very limited. So He's got Wilson. He's yeah, got the volleyball. Um, I've, I've heard about Wilson's fate, and that, that's why I don't think I can face that movie. Yeah, I, I don't know. But he... He talks to Wilson. Okay. That, yeah, well, that's, that's completely disproved my theory. Um, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there was a book I read when I was in grade school. I, I'm just trying to remember if there was any dialogue in it. Did you ever read the book Hatchet? No, no, never read that. So it's about a guy who crashes, and he they made a few sequels to it, I'm pretty sure. And he kind of survives in the wilderness. And I think this is where my, like, my enjoyment of, like, fort-based games or, like, you're surviving, you've got to build a, 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 an encampment. Why I like to play fort with my son it is this guy basically survives on an island until help arrives. But he has to, he, all he has is a hatchet. I'm pretty sure that's it. It's like when the plane crashes, he has a hatchet. And the pilot dies. And I'm pretty sure he talks to the pilot's dead body. Wow, that's that's grim. He, again, I think it's of he he. There's dialogue in the beginning, but I think he makes up dialogue either in his head, talking to the dead body. It, there's dialogue in it. I just don't remember the detail of it. But that's what sprang to mind when I said no, a book with no dialogue. And I'm thinking of like, have you seen the movie A Quiet Place? No, no. I've I've, I've seen all of the Back to the Future trilogy. I, I don't think I need to see much else. <laughs> but no, I haven't seen that. I haven't seen it either, but I have to question the level of dialogue in that because the whole movie's about being quiet. So it, it, it's interesting of, you know, I think it's different in a movie because you, you, you can see what's going on. You have your visual cues. But in writing, I think you need dialogue to tell a good story. I, I don't think it's possible to write a really, like, award-winning, phenomenal story without dialogue. That's my personal take on it. Yeah, yeah, I'd agree with that. And I think... Even at that length, I think it's. I think you need to have dialogue pretty pretty frequently. I. That's why I say dialogue. I think is one of the most important things because if you go pages of narration without dialogue, it's obvious. You know, you ha- you really border going into the show. Don't tell at that point because what are you doing if somebody's not talking? You know, what's going on? You know, if there's a battle scene or a fight scene of some sort, that's one thing, because there is no dialogue. If there's action, that's one thing. But how are you advancing the story? What are you doing if there's no dialogue? That's the question I think an up-and-coming author, any author, should really question, is what is going on in the absence of dialogue? Narration is, like I said, they go hand-in-hand. It's just as important. But you have to be careful that you're not info-dumping or you're not telling too much without showing. If you're going pages or paragraphs without any dialogue, I think that's a real concern. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's it says I think we've gone full circle, haven't we? Uh, in, in terms of what we said in the opening segment of this one, is well, is it the most important thing? Is it more important than the plot? For me, it's it's on a par. It's it's just as important. If you're just telling yeah. the story through page after page after page of narrative. That that doesn't bring to doesn't bring the story to life for me. 
Uh, we, we've spoken in previous episodes about plot, character, theme, and the the relationship between those three. For me, character is always the the most interesting of the three. For some people, it's plot. For some people, they want to see a theme. They want a commentary uh, on issues. But uh, for me, it's characters. It's people. And the only way you're really going to get to know uh, those characters is in their words and their actions. And 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 dialogue is is the words. So it, it needs to be done well, and it needs to be it needs to be in there. It's a major part of it. It wouldn't be a podcast episode if I didn't make a video game reference. So I'm going to say, I think some of the best dialogue I have seen is in. I'm going to say two games. I'm going to say. Dragon Age Origins and Baldur's Gate 3. Baldur's Gate, and they are very, 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 very much one in the same game as far as five stars cannot rate enough good about them. I'm a Final Fantasy stan first and foremost, but Dragon Age and Baldur's Gate, Dragon Age Origins, I have to make that clear, and Baldur's Gate 3 are hands down in my top 10 favorite games. Um, And one of the coolest things that they do in those games that I think really brings the world to life and really lets you get to know your characters is the dialogue that happens when you're just walking around and not doing anything or when there's something of importance your characters in the background will have a conversation you can see the floating text bubble of what they're saying but they will literally talk to each other about what's going on and i think that that is hands down my favorite thing from any RPG because I can get to know the characters and I can interact with the character but you never know how the characters interact with each other let's go more modern reference and let's say um, a more mainstream reference let's say Final Fantasy 7 you see to a lesser degree how the characters interact with each other but mostly they're interacting with Cloud but you don't necessarily and let's go even back a little bit and let's go to the original PlayStation 1 versus the remake you don't really see how the party members interact with each other. You get a you get a sort of basic glance with characters like Barrett and Tifa who have backstories together. But I mean it really wasn't until the remake that you got to see the comparison with Aerith and Tifa getting to interact with each other. And that's something that I think a lot of games are starting to pick up on, but still don't do a fantastic job of doing is dialogue interaction with the characters. Because it's, you know, you are the main character of your group, whether you're Cloud, whether you're uh, Byleth from Fire Emblem Three Houses, whether you're Squall from Final Fantasy VIII, you're the main character. And you are leading this group of ragtag characters. And you know how you feel about them. And you know how they feel about you. But you never really, until you go looking for it, you don't really get to know how they feel about each other. It's in these games like Fire Emblem where the characters that you have with you have support conversations with each other or Dragon Age and Baldur's Gate where the characters talk to each other in the background. That adds such another level of detail that I can't begin to explain how much more entranced into the world I get when I can hear how other characters react to other characters. I find that such a cool thing and that really helps me to decide do I like this character or do I not? Yeah, we've um, we've spoken about Dragon Age Origins quite a lot, and and that the way it's done was a masterclass for me. It's that that's when it's transcended from here's a game to here's a story. It's it's an interactive story, and not in a click this way to go one, this way to go another. It's it's something you're fully in, uh, immersed with. So I, I I certainly took a lot away from storytelling from that. I thought it was fantastically done. Um, and Final Fantasy VII, wow. If you haven't played it, go play it. It's awesome. 
Yeah, even if you've never played the original, play Remake, because Remake is a whole other game in itself. As of recording this, Rebirth just got a new... Rebirth got their official launch trailer a few days ago, and I cannot tell you how excited that made me. I can't wait for February. Besides my older son's birthday, I can't wait to get my hands on that game. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's been too long between them, the first one. Um, I was probably the same as everyone else in in, uh, in an era of remakes and, uh, and sequels. I was like, oh, don't touch Final Fantasy VII. But um, it, I'll get off the fence. I think it's better than the original. Like Top Gun 2, it's better than the original. When these things are done well, they're done Hands really down. well. Hands down, I agree. Well, now that we've gone full circle and we've talked about dialogue narration, and of course I'm doing a video game reference, is there anything else you want to throw out to the show, Mark? Gosh, no. Well, uh, Sorry, that's more editing out, isn't it? I, I, I can't think of anything. It's going to make a slight reference almost to when we said video games that I actually spent money on Lawnmower Simulator on the PS5 thinking it would be a comedy game, thinking it was going to be something funny. It's not. It's serious. Is it exactly what it says? And uh, I, 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 I mean, it, it's impressive the way it's done, but I, I still want my money back. I thought it was a joke. That, that's all. That's all I got. See, what you, where you went wrong is you should have gotten Power Washer Simulator, which is actually made by Square Enix, so you could have gotten the Final Fantasy VII uh, pack. Oh, I didn't realize that was a thing. Uh, right, well, okay, <laughs> that's my evening sorted. All right, guys, let us know what you think. As always, we'd love to hear your feedback. Let us know what you, how you feel about dialogue. We'd love to engage in a dialogue with our fans, so let us know what books you really like that we've put out that do dialogue well let us know which books you think that we could have had you know we could have improved the dialogue on we always love to hear your feedback thanks for listening thanks for tuning in i'm brandon i'm mark and we'll catch you guys in the next episode